Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Poolside's Web3 Builders Podcast, where we come together to share knowledge and experiences with the community in an informal and conversational way. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Kate. I'm your host. And today we have, we have with us um, Guilherme Maia, Senior Legal Counsel at BCAS, a company that specializes in crypto assets regulation. And so today we will be discussing cryptocurrency laws in Portugal. As you might, might already know, the Poolside Podcast episodes are recorded live on Twitter Spaces. But if you've missed any, you can always find us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. So subscribe today. Are you a Web3 founder looking for relevant mentorships and funding opportunities? Say hello to Poolside Accelerator, a 12-week dedicated program empowering founders to build, launch and scale in the Web3 space. What to expect from the Accelerator? Support from tokenomics, business, marketing strategy, product development and community building. Up to $100,000 in initial funding and access to follow-on capital. Demo days with mentors and investors. Eight days at the Poolside Hub in Lisbon with daily sessions. One-on-one -on -one meetings with potential stakeholders. And selected mentorships from founders and entrepreneurs in the Web3 space. But who can apply? Any Web3 team with a great idea and preferably an MVP. The industry you operate in is not a factor. We accept applications across all sectors. For more information and to submit your application, head over to poolside.co. Welcome, Guillermo. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for the introduction, Kate. And once again, thank you very much for the invitation as well. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to be live and sharing knowledge about crypto with obviously crypto enthusiasts as well. Okay, so let's start. So first of all, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, what's your background? How did you get in the crypto space? Uh, sure. Uh, so as mentioned, my name is Guilherme. Uh, I have uh, a degree in law, both uh, a master's in tax law, and I focused my studies uh, in crypto since 2017, seven, uh, 2018. How I started uh, my journey in crypto was due to the WannaCry ransomware attack in early 2017, where the um, hackers demanded 100 Bitcoin for um, the release of the data that they have locked. And I thought to myself, in my own stupidity a bit, thinking, why would they request like 100 Bitcoin if that thing uh, was worth like one euro? For me, innocently, yeah. I thought that Bitcoin was worth one euro because the first time I heard about Bitcoin was in 2014 or 2015 with the classic friends that used to mine uh, way before, but I never really cared. So in 2017, um, I was just wondering, okay, why are they doing this? And I had the luck to at least search in Google like Bitcoin price and all of a sudden it was around 1.5k and I thought to myself how what is this uh how does this how does something that's like internet money uh from what I've heard can be uh or has a value of 1.5k and luckily I actually tried to read more about it even though the information was not as available as it is now and I bought all the books that in, back in the day were like two or three and tried to understand how it worked and I fell in love with the industry um, and I even invested in my first ICO in summer of 2017 it would, which was MCO which is the Monica, Monica card that now is crypto.com uh, so I started my journey uh, on a high note thank god uh, but as soon as I actually understood the technology and underlying how now what is the potential of the technology itself I always tried uh, to push 
the boundaries and try to understand how the regulation would impact uh, as well this new industry because especially in Portugal since 2017 2018 was literally nothing the only information that was available was pertaining to taxation and that was pretty much it and nobody really seemed to care back in the day uh, about what how this could impact and what was the influence uh, of the laws in Portugal or could they influence or have any impact uh, on the crypto regulation so I started my journey there um, I had the luck to join BCS in 2018 as a technical analyst, so I was still finishing uh, my master's in tax law. Then I moved to Malta to work on it. I, I raced through the ranks, even in the legal analysis, and then I joined Real Fever, and then I went back to uh, BCS as well as a consultant. So, in the summarized version, that is my background, at least four to five years uh, working on, <laughs> on the regulation or in the legal side of crypto, which is not as attractive, obviously, uh, as the investment side of it, but still very relevant and important, very especially important. nowadays. Exactly. <laughs> so you've been advising crypto startups for about uh, five years? Uh, yes, I would say four years, but but I, I need to do a disclaimer here. So basically, we have two different types of clients, and the team is basically composed of two different uh, main areas. So my specialization or my area uh, where I work more is about token legal opinions. So instead of being like token economics or tokenomics as we know it, it's like token legal architecture, which is not as fancy or as cool the name, but it's basically to make sure that tokens are um, compliant with the local laws, regulation laws, and if they are on financial instruments or electronic money. So my area of specialization, it's much more on building the token to be compliant and the clients, which usually I advise or we are advising, are much more like exchanges, not as much as startups. Obviously, BCS also advises uh, startups, but it's another, uh, it's a different team, which is not my <laughs> area of expertise uh, at all. So basically, we advise or I advise in token legal architecture and trying to understand if certain products, especially DeFi products or um, decentralized uh, organizations or that are trying to achieve decentralization, how, what is the best course of action to achieve such a result. So pretty much, uh, I think that summarizes the last minute uh, which I was speaking. Exactly. Uh, it, was, it's right, it was right there at that point. Um, so can we give a step? A high-level view of cryptocurrency laws in Portugal. Um, why, why, why do people say that the Portuguese law is crypto-friendly? Okay, so there are two distinct things that we need to mention when speaking about Portuguese uh, crypto law. So the first one is the, the taxation law, uh, which, since I mean, the 2016 till 2022, uh, it was the Wild West. Let's call it this way. Um, there were some, obviously, some informations that were stating that capital gains uh, were not even taxable. Um, so everyone thought that Portugal is a crypto heaven, but it was the only reality that was not taxable. So everything else, such as uh, income generated from our assets, uh, payments in salaries with, our, uh, with crypto, uh, and a lot of other activities or sorts of income were already taxable in Portugal. But nobody seemed to care. And even the Portuguese tax authority did not seem to care. So this idea that Portugal was a crypto tax haven was built around, I would say, the inability of the Portuguese tax authority to actually um, uh, impose and try to understand the technology in order to say, like, look, some activities are already taxable. Please do that like this to report it. But since they did not seem to care, it was the perfect uh, cocktail uh, for obviously all the crypto investors to come to Portugal and enjoy and reap the benefits uh, of such uh, lack of action. 
And then we have the perspective of the regulation. So in Portugal, there is not any crypto law per se. What we have um, is an authorization that certain service providers are required to have in order to provide services as an exchange from crypto to crypto, exchange from crypto to fiat, custody and remittance, which is really remittance is just sending assets in behalf of a third, uh, of a third party to someone else different than the one that the person that deposited the, the assets. So usually for this remittance uh, kind of thing, it's to require the custody of the assets as well. So basically there are three main um, service provisions that are required uh, to have this type of authorization. And they are much more specific or relevant for anti-money laundering purposes. So it's not properly a, a license or an authorization to try to understand if your business model is good, even though it's required, it's much more to know if you are able to comply with anti-money laundering uh, regulations. And that is pretty much that. So Portugal only has that for that very specific purposes and which basically apply, I would say more for centralized uh, service providers and when I when I'm referring to centralized here, I mean I'm just accepting the centralization as a whole. Everything is decentralized. If it's not a centralized service provider, I don't want to go in the details what decentralization really means, even from a legal perspective. But at least for this type of authorization, if you have a company registered in Portugal or you're serving uh, Portuguese residents, then obviously you should need to uh, have an authorization from Bank de Portugal, which is the Central Bank of Portugal. That is the uh, the supervisor of such an activities. So joining these two, two, these two factors, which is only certain service uh, providers require an authorization and everything else is fine. And we had that regime of the tax seven uh, prior to 2023, where everything seemed that was not taxable. It act, I think it brought this huge uh, uprising of Portugal as being the next crypto hub. And honestly, uh, I think that Portugal is, is actually having the ability to capture the movement and try to do the best thing, which is actually incentivize people to stay while regulating, obviously, the industry, both from a tax perspective and both from authorization licensing uh, for service providers, which obviously are required by uh, the EU. It's not Portugal that is trying to push this, but a lot of pressure from the EU in order to be uh, as well harmonized with the rest of the member states of the EU. So in terms of uh, legal status of crypto in Portugal, uh, what, what do you think that the general view is holding, trading and mining crypto legal in Portugal? Yes, for sure. So that was never uh, really a concern. Um, the concern was because nothing is illegal, uh, obviously, unless it's an illegal activity or used for illegal purposes. Um, but those purposes obviously are legal. The difference was um, that the investors or even the miners uh, were not aware what were the tax consequences of holding trading uh, or even having a mining operation in Portugal. Uh, and now we do know with more clarity, um, which uh, entered in force in 2023, which were the changes to the tax regime as we're having. So mining as a proof of work, for example, was actually penalized a lot. Um, and it was probably the worst outcome that we had uh, with new this new regulation where basically they try to penalize proof of work because once again of the environment issues in theory so they try to push this agenda that they are not uh, uh ambient friendly and as such they can't almost deduct any costs from the operations which is completely insane uh, from our take but it was a small loss uh, that we had to accept in order to 
see the big picture, which was the tax regime that we currently have in Portugal, which I do believe it was a big win and probably have one of the best regimes, if not the best regime in the EU, uh, which is basically if you hold uh, a crypto asset for more than one year, your tax is exempt. And now we are 100% sure that this is the case, where before we were just assuming um, that this situation was probably uh, the ideal scenario or the scenario that would apply to us. Now we are 100% sure by law that if we hold the asset for more than 365 days, we are then um, exempt from paying any taxes. And furthermore, which which was the biggest, I believe, uh, positive outcome of all of this, where, for example, we actually were better than Germany, is that crypto to crypto um, transfers or crypto to crypto exchanges are not taxable. No, not taxable is not the correct word, sorry. Um, the, the, the gratification or the, the capital gains are only calculated whenever you sell the last assets, let's call it this way, or the last transaction converted back to fiat currency, which means, for example, I buy Bitcoin or I bought Bitcoin for 10K, right? Uh, now I, tra I trade my Bitcoin to ETH for whatever it's worth for, but Bitcoin is now worth 25K, which means I have 20, 15K of capital gains. I am not going to be taxed or it's not being to be con considered realized gain just for changing Bitcoin to ETH. But it will only be considered a gain when I transfer the ETH back to Euro. So any single exchange or any exchange between crypto assets that I do uh, within, obviously, it can be a centralized exchange or even in DeFi, um, they will be uh, withheld. They will wait until you realize to fiat currency. And then you do the, the, the math of uh, the amount that was paid in the beginning, so the first asset that you bought with euros, and then what was the amount that we, you withdraw or realize the gain uh, by the end of the period of the trading or the period of the, the holding of the asset. Obviously, if you do a lot of trading between assets and then you wait for the last asset for more than 365 days, you will be probably exempt uh, from any capital gain that occurred in between. So there is a lot uh, of uh, great advantages, I would say, with this new tax regime, which ultimately benefit, uh, benefit, sorry, benefit the crypto holders. So this tax law had, or this alteration to the law, had a focus on the token or on the crypto asset holders or investors, long-term investors, rather than the short-term investors. Because once again, if you realize any gain before the 365 days, you will be liable for, ta for taxation as any other financial instrument or any other asset that is uh, allowed or able to be negotiated in secondary markets. So it was a huge gain for investment, long-term long uh, long investment, and even for uh, small conversions within the crypto asset space if then you will for more than 365 days the last asset that was acquired and so how, how is this applicable to individuals who receive payments in cryptocurrency and registered companies that deal with cryptocurrency so do, do they also need to pay tax how does it work okay so that was one both scenarios were those scenarios that are were already uh, liable to pay taxation even before this new tax regime. Um, so if you receive any type of crypto asset as a source, sort of income for the services that you provide or for working for a company, uh, in theory, receiving any type of income or salary in kind, it's already susceptible to any tax payment. Obviously, the new tax regime tried to include crypto assets to make sure that 100% sure um, that receiving anything in kind including crypto assets, obviously is taxable, but from the understanding that they have the law, e any previous income 
previous 2023 that you receive in crypto assets should be should be subjected to law um so there is now a clarification on that regard but be aware that if you received any type of compensation uh in crypto from before even though once again practically it's very hard for the portuguese tax authority to realize where did the income come from and where is it stored legally it was still required for um, the resident or the person that received the crypto assets to declare that received that sort of income for providing uh, cert uh, services in category A, if it's a salary, or category B, if it's a provision of services. So that is one of the things that Portugal, I think, missed uh, to inform, stating that, look, only capital gains per se are, are like completely not taxable between, before 2023. Any other sort of income, even if it's paid in crypto, is still subjected to tax law or to our tax regime. But once again, I think uh, they neglected a bit and they let just slip it through. And I'm not really sure if they are trying to enforce this from before 2023, since now, uh, as mentioned, they reinforced the provision stating that crypto assets are also uh, uh, considered to be a payment in kind, where before this uh, clarification was not there. But kind, I mean, it's everything that it's not money, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah. then, Pertaining to companies is basically the same. So um, taxation in any sort of income for 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 corporations, regardless on the on the source or on the form of payment, it still should be still booked uh, for accounting purposes and should be reported to Portuguese tax authorities as well. And um, so this small provision that we had pertaining to the capital gains was only applicable um, to the normal person, not the corporate person, natural person. So for us as residents, as normal users, as normal investors, that would apply to us. But for corporations or companies, any income um, that you received in the form of crypto assets should be subjected to taxation. There was a use this, and there still is a huge discussion to how do you do it from an accounting perspective, but that's another story. But for because from tax perspective, they are still uh, liable to pay uh, the, any taxation that may arise, obviously, if there is profits or income in the form of crypto assets. And besides this, uh, are there any other laws that have been involved by the government that are helping web three entrepreneurs in Portugal? So, what we currently have, which is not directly. I wouldn't say it's like a direct benefit for Web3 entrepreneurs, but more like for startups in general, is that we have a new startup law uh, that brings some tax incentives and even some preferred share, um, preferred stock options uh, for the employees, which then have a tax benefit as well, where Portugal was actually lagging behind uh, every other jurisdiction in the EU. So it was already something that already existed, but Portugal did not have. So there is not, I would say, any law that is tailor-made for Web3 in design or, or specifically, but it was just more for the startup scene to actually being brought up here in Portugal, which obviously indirectly benefits um, the, the, the crypto industry uh, as a whole, whole as well. What we know um, from some negotiations we had with the government, we as FACE, which is basically the associations of crypto assets here in Portugal, uh, what we know is that they're actually trying and are actively looking um, to understand the industry, the potential of the industry, and how they can help the industry. But I think that further development will be uh, disclosed or be informed over, say, like the next two years, even I will start working on this year. But at least there is the will to try to keep the movement and try to keep the entrepreneurs there in Portugal, and they are 
trying to obviously capture once again this movement which is highly beneficial for portugal because apart from the weather and everything that is great um portugal actually manages managed to become the hub i would believe in the eu and then obviously we need to take the opportunity grab the opportunity and try to keep everyone here and prove that like this is will be the next great uh jurisdiction for this type of i would say like financial movements itself so hopefully we, we can be the next uh city of london or maybe even switzerland maybe portugal who knows in some years will be actually the the, the crypto hub for the long term as well yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were telling me you, you work mostly with uh, token compliance. So on your daily work, uh, you usually probably give both advice uh, to uh, exchanges and uh, like some startups. So what are the most asked questions? Okay. So basically what people used to be very, very, very afraid uh, is normally the staking rewards, right? So if I have a token that gives me some sort of rewards, uh, should this be deemed as a transfer of security or any sort, uh, sort of uh, financial instrument? This is one, I would say, of the major questions. The other one, which actually is quite funny, is that people are always very wary of the US uh, approach on what a transfer of security or investment contract is. And they say, like, look, in the US, this is a transfer of security or, or an investment contract. Is this a, a financial instrument here in the US as well? Uh, and obviously, the answer usually is probably not. Um, because what the, the US, the, the, the how we test or the test that they do to assess a token is vastly different uh, from the regulation that we have here in the EU and what are like the parameters to assess if a specific asset or instrument can be deemed as a financial instrument or electronic money. So basically what we try to do and what we achieve in this when we do this advisory or give these legal uh, opinions uh, about certain tokens is try to understand try is to understand the, the the financial laws of a certain jurisdiction because once again there is no harmonization uh, even in the, the regulation of financial instruments across the EU even though we have a directive um, the the um, the concepts themselves can vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction so we are currently doing it on a local basis rather than the uh, EU covers all passport effects like the MIF should have. Um, and then obviously we focus then and we try to work the token around to make sure that it complies with everything and it's not, so it's by the negative, it's not a financial instrument or electronic money. And the reason why these legal opinions, for example, are requested, uh, that probably some startups are wondering why do I have to pay to have a legal opinion just because the exchange is demanding me, but I don't understand what is the necessity of this, is obviously one, the issuer uh, that is issuing the, 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 the crypto asset does not want to have the obligations uh, of issuing a transfer of security that are a lot of requirements that are expensive and they're very slow and obviously crypto asset, uh, crypto startups, they don't have time to waste. So obviously trying to issue something as a, a financial instrument is not uh, recommended by any means. And then from the perspective of the exchanges that they are licensed or authorized to negotiate uh, crypto assets and that's it. So if they try to negotiate anything else that is obviously required to have a license to do so. For example, electronic money or try to negotiate financial instruments, they may very well lose their license to negotiate crypto assets and even pay a huge fine for it. So that's why um, it, they are very, very wary uh, to try to understand that the token that they're going to negotiate in, it's not a financial instrument and it's not electronic money. And they obviously want to be to be sure they are compliance with the local financial laws or wherever um, the crypto exchange is um incorporated or the jurisdictions where it's incorporated 
obviously with micar that is coming which is basically the regulation that is coming uh for the eu they will try to streamline and harmonize the concepts of crypto assets but to be perfectly honest there is still a huge problem that will not be tackled in which is the definition of financial instruments because the problem that we are currently having now micar will not solve it as well because for example in portugal it's very easy for a crypto asset with certain conditions to be considered a financial instrument whereas for example in france it would not be considered a financial instrument at all so there is no harmonization in this concept and there will still be a problem however if in a, a certain jurisdiction where it's more friendly or more restricted in what financial instruments are and if they consider that cert a certain uh, crypto asset is considered, for example, a utility token, then it will have a passport effect in the EU. Uh, but at the same time, it can go against some definitions of financial instruments in other jurisdictions. So only time will tell how efficient uh, or actually how Micar will be able to try to harmonize and provide solutions for this sort of problem. But once again, Micar probably will be approved in April, but it will still take one year and a half to actually come into force. So. <laughs> One thing at a time for the next two years, we are fine, but then we'll see what will be the impact of Micar in the EU. So, like you were you've already saying, so at this point, like crypto regulations are moving super fast and sometimes they move in different directions depending on the jurisdictions and the countries. So how do professions like professionals like you catch up with the updates? And do you have some suggestions for investors in Portugal, but also outside Portugal? How can people search for uh, information? Okay, so we are actually very active. I'm not very active in Twitter myself, but part of our team is very active in Twitter. I'm very active in Telegram uh, and Discord. So we actually try to be where the action is. Uh, and we always try to find new projects, new ideas. We read, obviously, because we have a lot of work from exchanges, read a lot of white papers uh, on a daily basis. So we are always at least uh, aware that new potential uh changes or dramatic changes in how the token is structured um may affect obviously the crypto industry so for example out of an example we can give is like yearn finance was a major shift uh, on the utilities of the tokens where they inclu included governance and uh, staking rewards per se. So it's, for example, it was the first big project for us where we needed to think outside the, the box and try to understand how can we make a token like this compliant to the financial instruments uh, test, I would say, like it's not a test, but the, the requirements here in the EU and try to make it uh, obviously, if possible, try to say like it's not a financial instrument for this, this, this and reason. So whenever there is a huge shift usually they, they, they the exchanges are very proactive in listing tokens that are very innovative so we always have it in our hands uh, to try to assess and try to to realize what will be the impact of these tokens and how can we obviously provide the best service for our clients as well apart from that we always try to at least take one hour per day just to read for example type of missari reports the blog any posts that have then speak about new projects and new uh, ideas much more from for example the economic perspective uh, so new tokenomics new models new issuance models as well uh, and try to bring to the table to this, does this type of model has any impact uh, from the legal perspective? Yes or no? If no, perfect. It's just a great innovation. If yes, how can obviously we provide the best service in case we receive a startup that is trying to develop um, such a product as well? And obviously DeFi, uh, we are, uh, at least myself and some, some of the team members as well, we are actively using uh, for our own investment purposes so we always learn we are always part of the community not because it's work related but it's much more from uh, our own personal experience or 
um, just investment side of things. So always try to be active is the best way uh, to capitalize and always try to learn yeah. as well from the projects. Since we are crypto natives, at least great, a great part of our team is great natives. And I think that's always uh, as well a huge advantage in competition because we are just not uh, lawyers trying to capture the movement. We are uh, participants from before that actually uh, then just providing legal services on top. Yeah, makes total sense. So uh, what is your view on the recent charges from state regulators that are accusing projects of violating securities law? Um, so once again, I would say most of those are pertaining to the U.S. Um, and the U.S. actually has a very aggressive stance. I'm not really sure why. I mean, obviously, it's politics, uh, political reasons why. But the thing is that how we test or the way they have the, their law, that's what is way structure, is that it allows to say that anything um, that is sold, let's call it, to someone else, and it has a, a speculative value or a secondary market that provides value to the, the person that acquires it can be considered an investment contract and therefore a security. So they have this opening that is very broad. Uh, it's very, very outdated. It shouldn't relate, obviously, to some of the crypto assets, others that they, they actually make a little bit of sense, but they are trying to include everything under the same umbrella, which is very, very dangerous um, because crypto assets have different types of functionalities and different types of fun functionalities provide different type of value for the investors as well, or even consumers. Um, so that's, for example, a great example um, that they target everyone as investment as investor but if you're buying a token for consumption purposes for example if i buy ether um, to use it in the ethereum network obviously i can i want the ether price to go up but still if i'm a developer i want ether because i want to deploy my smart contract on the ethereum chain so i'm not buying it with an investment purpose but regardless of that they don't seem to care they say everything that has a speculative value regardless of what is the purpose of the the, the reason why you bought it you'll be deemed as an investor and that's actually very scary from the US. But ultimately, that benefits benefits a lot the EU and Portugal. Um, Portugal indirectly because it's a crypto hub, right? Not not because our regulation is better than any other jurisdiction in the EU, at least for the time being. Um, but it obviously we can capture a lot of value coming from the US because if you issue anything from the US, you are at a great risk of being considered a security, even if it, you're not trying to do so. Um, even, for example, we have the case of Dapper Labs, right, about the NFTs to be considered as transport securities or investment contracts, which it's kind of insane. I mean, obviously, NFTs are st have still a long way to, to go, even in the EU, from um, what is the NFT definition and the, the perspective of the market of uh, an F NFT definition and what is the legal definition of an NFT. So the legal definition of an NFT in the future, at least in the EU, will be non-fungible and unique. Uh, but what is non-fungible and unique. So they are like indeterminate concepts that are still required to have a further study and will probably have guidelines in the future. But so far, nobody really knows what an NFT for Mikar is actually is. And then we've seen the impact of this in the US indirectly. So yeah. they say Dapper Labs, I mean, if you have, if you're issuing a collection of 300 NFTs that are representing exactly the same moment uh, or the same picture, I mean, they are fungible within themselves, right? wrong are they unique because they have a different serial number so these are descriptions that are being brought up because in terms of utility they are exactly the same they represent the same thing but then they are not really unique are they so this is the discussion that is currently having in the eu that can impact nft industry as well they say they are excluded but we need to understand what an nft is first uh, so that will be i think the for the 
biggest concern, uh, at least 2023, 2024, to try um, to close the concept of, the, of NFT, to try to understand if a collection is an NFT for the, from a legal perspective or not. Because once again, uh, what we call the utility tokens and security tokens and so on, they were merely uh, economic or crypto uh, or even markets definitions. They were never legal definitions. Um, the only legal definitions that exist was financial instruments, electronic money, or something else that is not any of those. So the concept of utility token is a construct, not a legal definition, for example. Uh, but it will be. So it's very, very important for us to focus on what is the regulatory stance of a certain definition of a certain asset, or else we will incur in the same mistakes that the US is doing with, for example, NFTs. They don't provide any sort of information, nobody knows anything, and all of a sudden the SEC decides that for some reason NFTs uh, are fungible enough, and so they consider that it's an investment contract. So it's, it is very, very, very... Uh, concerning, and I think we can learn from their mistakes, so we can capture the movement and Europe or the EU actually benefit from the movement as well. It's like, look, they do not provide clarity on this, and we are already excluding, for example, NFTs. But what are NFTs? Let's provide some clarity so the token teams, um, the crypto startups know what to expect when they are issuing certain type of digital assets that can be considered NFTs or uh, something else. So I honestly think that we'll benefit from this very, very aggressive stance uh, that they were staking, and we are going to learn, hopefully, uh, from their mistakes as well. Hopefully, yes, and there's a lot of things uh, still still to be had for the future. And uh, speaking of future, also taking into account the current situation after this crazy weekend with the Silicon Valley Bank situation and the the temporary VPEG of uh, USDC, um, how do you see crypto's future? Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it, we just need to, to look the, at the, the chart. Feeling the feeling for most people is that looks like not, nothing can be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But at the same time, we can look at the charts, right? So uh, Bitcoin and the, the crypto assets actually managed to have an increase at least from 5 to 10 to even 16% in the case of Bitcoin whenever the, 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 the banks were closed. Um, so it, it was just a proof, maybe it was just a movement, maybe it was even market manipulation just to try to prove something, obviously. Uh, but at least it's just, a, a, I would say, like an alert saying, like, we are the alternative. The reason why Bitcoin uh, was created in the first place was because of, because of 2018. Obviously, it was a different situation, um, but still, it's still the breaking problem of poorly allocating the assets uh, without obviously understanding the risks and the, the greedy uh, of the, the banking system. And Bitcoin is here to prove them that actually an alternative exists. And with Bitcoin gold as well, obviously, um, the reserve of value, uh, assets rose in value. The thing is, the impact that it might have on the tech industry, uh, which obviously it's always... Uh, regardless of, on my opinion, obviously, of Bitcoin proving something that the banking system is wrong, the, the negative effects are much larger than just proving a, a point, right? Um, so the tech industry is taking a hit. Uh, obviously, the, the US regulators are already taking care of and trying to give the deposits back to the, to the depositors. Um, but it still impacts negatively the crypto uh, industry just because it impacts the tech industry as a whole. And obviously, the crypto uh, markets, I would say, or the crypto assets and the startups are very, very correlated with uh, um, the, the tech industry as a whole. Pertaining to SDC and the depegging, I mean, that's already something more political to discuss about what the concept of stablecoins and if the stablecoin should be regulated and how. 
Um, because it's just a proof that, how can I say, I mean, West DC, it's, it's, it's a problem from my perspective, right? So it is this regulate, regulated huge, um, uh, huge, or the third one, I believe, or even the second biggest uh, stable coin um, by, by volume. And all of a sudden, they depegged because a lot of the funds were obviously locked in the Silicon uh, Valley Bank, which obviously caused a depeg as well. And it was a warning stating like, look, the stable coins are not that stable because maybe the, the value um, or the, 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 the assets that should be deposited in the bank are maybe allocated in different instruments. Even if they are low risk, very liquid instruments as they were uh, on uh, treasury bonds in the government, they can still be subject to the valuation of the secondary market. Which means if there is not enough liquidity, the banks are going to lose your money. And that's what happened. And this is something that's going to be replicated in the EU, which is very, very frightening because for electronic money tokens, for example, um, there is one provision that states that the, the, the stablecoin issuer can still allocate the funds uh, that were deposited there to allocate the stablecoins to very high liquid um, financial instruments. Which means that the problem that we are currently seeing now in the US may actually apply to the EU uh, if obviously uh, the, 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 the credit rates go up uh, as they did in the, the US well, somewhere in the future. So the same provision that tried to say like, look, you actually can allocate your client funds without they even knowing uh, for uh, financial instruments in order for you to have a business uh, at the same time brings the same risk that we're actually assisting now. And they are trying with this type of provision to try to block uh, decentralized stable coins. Um, I'm not talking about algorithmic stablecoins. Uh, I'm talking like, for example, DAI. Uh, talking about, hey, from Ellie, from from Binance, um, to crypto um, stablecoins that are issued against a, a, a collateralized asset, which is a crypto asset, uh, and they are usually over collateralized. Usually, no, they are always over collateralized. But by Mikar, you are not going to be allowed to issue such a stablecoin. So they're trying to hinder the, the development of the stablecoin market and try to replicate the 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 incumbent system that you currently have with the same faults and mistakes that we just assist on the silver on Silicon uh, Valley Bank. So I think as bit for example for Bitcoin, Ether, and for native tokens or native crypto assets as a whole, it's a huge, 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 huge uh, positive impact, stating that there is a viable solution, a viable option um, to try to withdraw our funds from uh, the traditional banking system. But at the same time, it can hurt, obviously, the startups that are building on top uh, of the crypto ecosystem. So it's always um, a delicate matter, I would say, to try to assess the damage. And even because, uh, as we saw today, it was Credit Suisse that actually the the, the share uh, the shares of Credit Suisse uh, were restricted from being negotiated in secondary, mar mar secondary markets, and they were stopped from trading today. So we are still going to see the ripple effect of the Silicon Valley Bank and all the other banks in the U.S., which is quite frightening. And, and what advice would you give to, to companies um, in terms of how they manage their treasuries? Oh, that's always... A, <laughs> I can't really suggest anything on that regard because it's always based on a risk-based approach. And I'm not. I'm certainly not... Uh, the best person to provide the type of advice. I think they're like CFOs or people with financial background supposedly know how to allocate the, the, the risks. Uh, but I mean, if they are crypto assets companies and they do not need to pay or just a fraction of the reserve is, need, is used to pay um, salaries, for example, or any services that they need to, to, to pay for, I mean, cater for the expenses and try to convert it 
only the minimum required and everything else obviously take it in a cold wallet not even a centralized exchange not in a bank just take what is required and pay but once again this is a very very risky approach because crypto assets in the end of the day are very volatile as well and nobody wants to have this type of uh, uh, volatile treasury yeah. as well that from one day to the other, another one uh, can lose a lot of value so i mean it obviously i, I can't recommend anything uh, i think that's just a, a risk-based approach that the company needs to have Great, thank you. Um, so for my last question, uh, one that I always ask uh, the podcast guests, uh, what excites you most in the Web3 space at the moment? So I'm always a big fan of DeFi, especially stablecoins. So that's why I was rumbling a lot about the stablecoins because I really like the concept of decentralized stablecoins. Uh, I think we... It is probably the best solution that we'll have for the crypto market as, once again, for the type of the, uh, 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 an asset that is pegged uh, by, to a fiat currency, but it's pegged by crypto assets. It just proves um, that the crypto asset uh, or the crypto environment as a whole is sufficient and does not require, for example, the banking industry to be dependent on creating stable coins. So we don't need to deposit euros in a banking account to have some representation of euro uh, in the, any of the blockchains. If we can give as collateral our native tokens or any tokens, obviously, um, that such a issuer accepts, then we can have a form of stable coin as well. So I really, really think that there's a lot of potential, I would say, for the next two years, but they will find a lot of uh, hardships after, at least in the EU, after Mikar comes uh, to play. At the same at the same time, DeFi for me, it's always amusing because uh, I do believe it's the, one of the most innovative spaces um, in terms of trying to achieve different business models um, that are usually related to financial tra or traditional uh, finance, but at the same time, bringing something different and something even more uh, innovative, even as like the farming, even if I can call it, is it Ponzi, is it not? It's still a way of allocating, allocating funds and resources and rewards to incentivize new users to use the platform. So there is always a lot of discussion, but there is always an inno innovation coming in. From NFTs, I think there will be a huge uh, wave as well on how completely different concept of NFTs. So how NFTs are going to revolutionize some, I would say, even in the financial sector. So there will be a lot of creativity coming from trying to build NFTs that are not really, that are NFTs by default, but they are not really providing the same purposes of only take an IP license for your uh, monkey or for this type of uh, meta uh, metadata. It then you provide much more utility and you are still, I think, going to have a huge revolution uh, on the NFTs as a whole. Pertaining to the metaverse, I'm a little bit sceptic. Um, so metaverse for me, it was always the area I would say of Web3 that I did not really fully grasp. Um, since I, I am, uh, I would say, a complete maniac and uh, video game addict um, ever since I was small, uh, the concept of metaverse for me always existed. So it just for me, just a reality that is different from the reality that we're living on and is sufficiently immersive for us to forget about everything else and just focus on the game. Um, so, and even we have like small, I would say, metaverses such as uh, Second Life, everyone knows, aware of World of Warcraft, which is uh, which were so immersive that even people died actually playing the video game for too long. Um, and and even though I do believe that interoperability is something that needs to be tackled, at least in the, the um, property of assets, I still not convinced uh, that blockchain 
is actually the solution to do so, or if the blockchain is the required solution to do so, at least in the video games industry, because everyone is trying to push this concept of like, oh, look at the metaverse, you can just push this weapon from game A and implement it in the game B. But if game A and game B are, for example, uh, developed and created by different uh, video game companies, why should why should they do share why should they share i would say the same items right it's very hard for them to do something that is balanced within different games with different assets and why even if that's possible why would you require blockchain to do so when we have for example solutions that are already optimal uh, that have secondary markets for assets that is for example valve uh, or steam secondary market for for example csgo counter strike go uh, skins which already allow you to tr change. Obviously, you can't withdraw them from uh, from Steam. You can even withdraw the funds from Steam, but that's a different issue. But at least the transferability and the ability to sell your assets is already a reality. Do we need the blockchain for that? I still need to be convinced <laughs> on that regard, uh, especially coming from the video game industry. And as you can see, actually, the video game industry is and the, the, the gamers themselves are one of the most, um, I say, hard audience to capture even for this blockchain uh, metaverse slash video game industry and especially because of this because i mean i just want to play the game everything else needs to be secondary uh, if i can change my items you can see what happened with diablo which was a huge failure right so the concept of the game is an rpg you just need to go to, to through the bosses uh, let's say fight everything else your way you need to level up your champion and then finish the game but as soon as they allowed the secondary market for items to be negotiated, there were farmers that were just trying to shift certain items and sell in secondary markets, which then the newbies would actually buy them and just go through the game very easily. With what happened was that the game was no longer interesting because it was very easy um, to just finish because you could actually buy the items that were overpowered by other players that already finished the game. So there is a very, very delicate balance yeah. um, that it still needs to be discovered. And maybe if that is discovered and we can actually have a game with purpose that blockchain ownership with assets makes sense, then I think it will revolutionize, obviously, the video game industry as well. And then I think we'll have a huge blast. But I think it's still something for the next years to come. Obviously, there are a lot of solutions trying to come up with great, uh, uh, some great ideas. Obviously, then they may be are flawed in the execution or maybe they see that the audience is not still attracted to this type of, uh, of concepts. But who knows, maybe in some years' time, there is actually something that will be a game changer. But I'm still a little bit sceptical and I'm eagerly waiting to be uh, proven <laughs> wrong and actually provide me a game that I can play and I can sell my items, which does not affect my uh, willingness to play the, the, the game as well. Wow, that was a very complete answer. <laughs> I think it's clear that you have a, a very big passion for blockchain. Um, this is the end of our poolside session, so thanks everyone for tuning in. And thank you, Guillaume, for joining and for your very useful insights. Uh, would you like to share how can people that are looking for the type of services that uh, you provide, how can they contact you and your team? Ah, sure. So if you want to just send me a message, for example, in LinkedIn, you can find me there. I'm very active in LinkedIn. Once again, I'm much more in the academic space as well. Um, so it's Guillermo Maia. I think it's uh, my name is already on the 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 announcement of this uh, Twitter space and uh, for email for my email is just g.maya um, at bcs.io so if you need any type of service or even just an opinion just try to understand if it makes sense um, to go with any of our services just feel free to drop, drop me a PM 
uh, on on LinkedIn or even in Telegram, which is Boycors. It's the same name that I have here. Um, or send me an email if it's something more formal, obviously. Great. So if you have any topic or guest you would love to hear on the Poolside Podcast, just drop us a comment on Twitter with your suggestion and use hashtag Poolside Podcast. In case you missed this entire live session, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts and listen to this one and many other insightful episodes. I will see you next week. Goodbye, then. Thank you. Talk to you. Goodbye.